Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Jules Von Hepp. Hello, I'm Sarah Powell. And welcome to Wobble, a podcast about happiness and body confidence. Because we all wobble. On this week's episode of Wobble, we have Virgie Tovar, which I absolutely love Fantastic saying. Name. I really love saying it. Um, Virgie has written a book, which you'll hear about in this chat. And she is somebody who's bigger. She identifies as a fat person. And she talks about fat phobia and what that means to her and what it means to her place in society for her and for lots of other bigger people, how it affects relationships and generally as a society society how we all exist around fat phobia um, it's a really interesting chat um, I certainly hadn't considered some of the things she says before um, so here is Virgie on Wobble I am so thrilled to have you on um, to talk about your book which came out um, in August huge congratulations on writing a book oh thank you and I mean the title the title's superb and it's very I find it very brave actually which is you have the right to remain fat so just I mean just for any avoidance of doubt Virgie just explain to you what does fat fat mean? Um, well, so I am 250 pounds, which I calculated in the UK means I'm 18 stone. Is it stone singular yes, or plural? It is. It is 18 stone. And thank you so much for doing that calculation, Virgie. That's very, <laughs> very kind of you. So that's what it means kind of like, you know, in, in sort of the numerical sense. And I've always been a bigger person. Like I was the biggest kid in my class and I've kind of walked through the world with a body that's larger than average my entire life. How was that growing up and being being a bigger kid? How was that? 
you know, I talk about in the book, you know, being four years old and not having yet been introduced to fat phobia. And, you know, just, just for the purposes of definition, I define fat phobia as a form of bigotry that positions fat people as inferior morally and physically. Um, and we get taught fat phobia. And in the U.S. at least, that happens at around age five, which is the average age for the introduction to formal education. Um, and it's no accident that that's the time when you get introduced to the ideology of that phobia. Before I was introduced to this idea that I was, that my body was wrong and that I was like a bad person for being fat, um, I had a really beautiful, amazing, wonderful relationship to my body. And the book opens up with me being a four-year-old and, um, and jiggling, right? Um, like one of my favorite <laughs> things to do was to jiggle. And I would, you know, I would come home from, you know, running errands with my grandmother and I would run to the bathroom and I would take off all my clothes and I would run back out and I would put on a jiggle show for her (laughs) and I would just (laughs) you know um I would just wobble like my tummy and my thighs and my cheeks my arms and remember how much joy it gave me and and my family too you know to kind of do it and and the the sense of pleasure um that my body moved in kind of these really jiggly fun um ways with just it's just unforgettable in a lot of ways. And I took so much joy in my fat body. And then I was introduced to fat phobia at the hands of mostly boys my age when I was um, introduced to kindergarten. I guess what I'm saying is fat phobia isn't like something that someone introduces to you and you immediately take it on. And you're like, oh, I'm just a terrible, horrible, disgusting human. <laughs> Next. You know, like, it's like, you know, you kind of, it takes a while to, for the education to settle in. And it takes a lot of effort from other others to teach you that your body is wrong and that you're disgusting. And so there was kind of like a process of learning what my body meant in this culture. And it took, you know, it took me, I don't know, I don't know how long it took, maybe a year, maybe two years, something like that. But by the end of that, I was convinced, you know, I was convinced that I was wrong and that people should treat me poorly and that I should just accept it and that my job was to lose weight and that if I lost weight, that I could stop other people's cruelty, which is kind of how fat people are taught to deal with, you know, bigotry, essentially. I think what's such a tragedy, and I I talk about this in the book too, is like, the truth is, bigots are in a much better position to change than fat people are. (laughs) It's much easier for a bigot to become a non-bigot than a fat person to become a thin person. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, that's the great irony of it all, right? I'm like, you can stop being a bigot in 30 seconds if you decide to stop being a bigot. Like, instant results guaranteed. This is not the same for like losing weight and like trying to you know, maintain a small body when you're naturally a bigger body person. But so it's like, I mean, I think the story is, is complicated because, you know, I remember being four and like I had a boyfriend in preschool and his name was Ray Ray and he was like the hottest boy in the class and I was the biggest girl in the class and we just were like in love, you know? And so I have that remembrance, but it's also coupled with, you know, a lot of really intense self-hatred and a lot of just never-ending teasing. And so I think the last thing I want to say about it is like, if you can imagine, and I think some people who are listening can relate to this, like the idea that you never go one single day without at least one person reminding you that you are ugly and monstrous. That's what it's like. That would, That's what it was like for me growing up as a fat person. It's really interesting to me that 
your first reaction um, naturally as a big person is to is to almost be fat phobic towards yourself. Do you know what I mean? To go, oh, they must be right. Um, I must mm-hmm. need to change. I must be awful. And how long how long did that go on for, Virgie, before you sort of came to where you are now? Um, it went on for almost 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, essentially, I was weight cycling, and um, I considered it dieting, but I was often starving myself, you know, for almost 20 years. Did you lose weight in that time? Did you feel any better for all that? I use the phrase weight cycling, and I think you know a number of people who do similar work to me use that phrase as well, because it really is not weight loss. Yeah, it is a cycle of uh, of losing and gaining, losing and gaining, um, over and over and over again. That's the truth of of the dieting trajectory. And so, yes, I lost and gained, and lost and gained, and lost and gained, and it was it was it was kind of a mixed bag, right? Like on the one hand. I was physically exhausted, right? When you're not eating enough food, your brain doesn't work as well. Your body just wants to go to sleep, right? I was irritated because I was hangry, Um, right? Like when you can't eat anything, you're bad. And like life is a little (laughs) bit less bright and shiny. Yes. Oh, Um, I know it so well. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Physical side of it um, was really not great, you know? But the response I got from it was extraordinary, right? Like whenever I dropped in weight, the the shift in behavior from others was undeniable. And it was completely intoxicating, right? I mean, I think anybody who has ended up losing some weight because either because they're dieting or because they're sick or because they're depressed, um, they get nothing but accolades from everyone around them. Um, So I think all of the kind of physical um, and emotional side effects of that weight cycling sort of at the time to me felt worth it, quote unquote, um, because I got all of the social rewards that I was told I would get if I lose weight. And so for instance, right, like I remember being at, you know, a lower, probably one of my lowest weights and I was not eating very much and it was very miserable, you know, like overall, I think at the time I thought, oh, now people will love me. People who matter, people who are awesome will love me now that I conform. And I think now I'm like, no, anybody who would quote unquote love you, but only if you're at a lower weight, is not great. They're actually a dick. <laughs> and like, I don't want to date them. But at the time, you know, again, I was so deep in fat phobia that I thought it was totally normal that people would conditionally like me and conditionally yeah. love me, you know? Yeah. You're also losing a lot of power there, aren't you? Because all of your kind of self-confidence and your self-esteem rests on the opinion of others, which is a really precarious position to be in. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think the truth is a lot of us are in that position for one reason or another, unfortunately. Absolutely. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And so what? What was the moment? What was the kind of, was there like a light bulb moment where things just changed and you were like, I'm done with this? Okay, there are four moments. Can I share them with you? Absolutely. Let's have all of them. (laughs) Okay. Um, So the first moment is, it's interesting, right? Because as I I was saying, I grew up being told um, that I was disgusting, that no one would love me, um, that no one would marry me, no one would sleep with me, right? That was the big one, right? Mostly boys were teaching me that, that in their opinions, boys and men weren't interested in me and then unless I lost weight I could not have access to romantic love or sex or any number of things yeah. and so you know I believed it right but at around age 17 I started to get so horny that I was like <laughs> okay you know what I've been trying to like become a thin person for years and it doesn't seem to be working and I'm just gonna have to go ahead and try and find some dick at my current size um, <laughs> <laughs> um, sure just- sure <laughs> And so if you can imagine, right, I'm, like, super nerdy. I'm in. The, I'm on the debate team. I'm in the club for, you know, like, Latin enthusiasts, like the like the language of ancient Rome, Latin. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And I'm in marching band, right, and I have these huge glasses, you know, fat nerd. It was just amazing, right? Like, And I, like, all I can think about is boys. And so I'm so ready for a boyfriend. And I end up discovering after-hours telephone personal service where um, it's free for women to talk to men. Okay. And I, I'm like, oh my God, it's perfect. And so it's like the fat girl dream, right? I'm like, <laughs> I can make them fall in love with my brains and my humor and my cute voice. And then when they see me, they just have to accept me, right, for who I am, even though I'm like a monster. And this is kind of like the, the idea that I went into it with. And so I started talking to men and very quickly I started dating men. And I think that like the very first time that I met a man and he was like you're sexy and beautiful and amazing I was like wait a minute if they lied to me about this what else did they lie to me about yeah you know um like I sort of thought like oh my god one man and or maybe even more like thinks I'm sexy and this is against everything that I've been taught and so it kind of like destabilized what I had learned about my 
my body very quickly, right? Um, and so that was like one moment was my sort of sexual debut, like beginning dating. And then another moment was I was introduced to feminism in college. I was about 21 years old. And um, I met a group of women who were just incredible. Like I'd never met women like them. And they were very, you know, strong and they had hair under their armpits and hair on their legs. And they were like, you know what? Your body belongs to you and you deserve to have sexual pleasure. You deserve to have autonomy over your life. And I was like, what? I was like, like, this is completely like revolutionary to me. Um, And they would just ask me questions. Yeah. Do you, did you know that you get to enjoy sex as well? Not just your dude partner. And they would say things like, you know, you're beautiful no matter what you do and you get to eat whatever you want and people don't get to tell you what to do with your body. And, um, and they weren't, you know, most of them were thin, but the education that I got was really life changing. And then, um, but I was still dieting at the time. And so then kind of like, you know, I mean, the, the third moment, we're coming up on the second half of the story now. I ended up meeting this New Zealander, interestingly enough, um, who was fat positive. And we started dating. And, um, you know, he was the first person I ever dated who was like, you know, your body is completely yours and no man gets to decide what your body looks like. And you get to be as big or as little as you are and it doesn't it doesn't affect how much you deserve to be loved and this was you know revolutionary again um I mean I really thought that you know in order to get love that I had to be a thin person or I had to be trying to become a thin person and he kind of his love like flew in the face of that and he also helped me kind of recuperate my relationship to food you know like I would have we would have these moments where we'd be cooking together and he'd be like oh you know what might be nice in there is some is some cheese and I'd be like oh my god cheese no 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 I'm like cheese cheese is terrible cheese 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 is bad I mean everybody knows cheese is bad and he's like maybe cheese isn't bad maybe cheese is delicious <laughs> and I would have to, when you're like on a diet cheese is like someone says cheese and it's like oh you just like lose your mind your eyes bug out it's just like <laughs> even the mention of cheese is horrifying um and so you know he, he would come over to the stove and he'd like put his hand over my hand and he would pick up the cheese and then he but like put it over the pan and, uh, and, you know, I'd be panicking the entire time. And then he would just tip the little plate, tip the cheese into the pan and I would panic for a minute. And then he'd say, look, it's fine. It's already done. It's done. And then, you know, and then, he, and then we'd do it again with another ingredient. He'd be like, how about some bacon? I was like, oh my God, bacon, bacon's worse than cheese. No. Um, and, <laughs> and you know, it was like trying to get a cat out from under a sofa, like luring a cat. But that's what it was like with me trying to eat food that, you know, I had been taught was bad. And, you know, that relationship really changed um, my life in a lot of ways. And then actually this relationship segues into the fourth moment. So um, at this point, I'm now in my late 20s. I'm in graduate school and I'm interested in researching fatness. I'm interested in talking to fat women and asking them how being fat has affected their lives. And I have an advisor um, who's a thin person and I have to get approval from her around whether or not I can pursue this research. And so I go into the meeting to talk with her. My boyfriend um, was with me. He was sort of sitting in the lobby. And, you know, during the meeting, I, I, I tell her what I want to do. And she says, no, that's career suicide. No one cares about this issue. Everything about fatness has already been written. And you should seriously consider sticking with a better research topic. 
And I left that meeting kind of like, you know, really demoralized. And once I was, once I came out the door of the meeting, he shot up and was so angry. And he said, you know, she's being fat phobic and you shouldn't listen and you should research exactly what you want. And I will help you find someone who will support this. And, and like, it was through kind of his encouragement that I was able to start researching this topic. And then once I finished graduate school, um, I was immersed. I mean, this, just in looking for resources around trying to understand my, my research, um, I met a bunch of fat activists and they just blew my mind, right? They were like mostly women. All of them were fat. All of them were fabulous. All of them had amazing outfits and like kind of walked through the world, like sauntered through the world with this extraordinary confidence that I had never seen like fat women have. I mean, it was that moment of meeting them. So, I mean, I know you mentioned it earlier, Virgie. Just, just explain what fat phobia means to you. This is the thing. I argue, and I, I know I'm right, um, fat phobia <laughs> is a form of bigotry. Yeah. Um, in our culture, we don't see fat phobia in that way. We see fat phobia as an appropriate response to a health concern. Yes. Um, we kind of are so preoccupied with this idea that, you know, when we are cruel or we are exclusionary towards fat people, that it's for our own good. It's for the whole, it's for the whole country's well-being, right, that we're mean to fat people. Um, but the truth is right um fat phobia aligns perfectly with other forms of bigotry entirely if there was like a bigotry checklist fat phobia would get all the check marks right yeah um and so the realities of fat phobia a lot of people don't realize this are multiple like number one fat people don't have the same kind of access to you know friendship and romantic relationships as their smaller counterparts so like this looks like people actively or perhaps subconsciously opting out of meaningful relationships relationships with fat people. And this has outcomes related to it, right? Like people feel more isolated. People feel um, like they don't belong and they begin to sort of like opt out of things that are meaningful to them because they're worried and they're worried about what, what response they'll get in public or they don't have anybody to do it with them. Um, another way that it manifests is mm, like restrictive sizing of clothing, right? Like in particular, I'm thinking about business wear and formal wear and I talk a lot about this, right? Like it's very difficult to find like a bridal gown or a tuxedo um, above a certain size. And it's also very hard to find good, stylish, professional wear in plus size. And it kind of sends a message about who belongs in what space. You know, if there's no clothing for you in that like fashion arena, um, what does it say about who gets to get married? Who gets to go to these important events? who gets to be the boss at work. Um, and so there's that. And then it kind of manifests also in, you know, in kind of these um, interesting sexual phenomenon I've found. There's some research that suggests that fat women um, advocate less for condom uses than their thin counterparts. And it's, the idea is that um, fat women have been taught that our bodies aren't worth protecting or worth advocating for. Or we've been taught that sexual experiences are um, are scarce. And so we should not do anything that could potentially destabilize our access to sex. So that's one way. And then another way that it kind of manifests under that umbrella is um, the push for um, men in particular to have 
private sexual relationships with fat women and then public relationships with thin women. I mean, I think that this phenomenon has been written about extensively online, but this idea of like the secret fat girlfriend where, you know, the couple um, is, is having like very intense emotional exchanges and very intense ongoing sexual relationships. Um, but there's no public component to it because they don't want to be seen in public with a fat person. I have a story about that. Like when I first moved to San Francisco, I met someone who identified as a fat admirer and I'd never heard of this before. And so we went out and we, um, well, rather he came to my apartment and we hung out. He was my neighbor. And, um, at the time I didn't think anything of it, right? We spent a lot of time in my apartment and we had really amazing, wonderful sex. Um, and then it came time for me to want to meet his friends and become part of his world. And he flat out told me that even though he preferred my body type and that I was his ideal, that, um, that he simply didn't have the balls to introduce me to his friends because he was worried about how much flack they would give him. And he just kind of like flat out said it pretty much was like, I don't have the balls to be seen with you in public. My friends will give me so much shit. And so it was just, I mean, like, you know, I've, I've experienced this particular like sexual discrimination multiple times. And so that's kind of like one, one arena that I think is, is particularly interesting, right? Because it shows that this is not an issue of a lack of desire. This is an issue of public stigma. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, completely. When I think of fat phobia, I think it's just against um, fat people. I would never have thought that it was about the people that are close to fat people. I would just, that would never have occurred to me. That And, and of course... Yeah, I think the last example I'm going to give that I think is powerful is really, and I think the fashion piece kind of plays into this, but um, sort of structural fat phobia, right? Like the different things in in our daily lives where fat people don't fit. You know, like I live in a very hip, young city, and when I go out to a bar, I know that the seats are going to be tiny, right? Because like they're trying to fit a really hip experience into a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of real estate. And they're trying to cram as many people in there as possible. And so things like, you know, like going out to a restaurant, is the restaurant going to have seating where I feel comfortable? Am I going to sit into the seats at all, right? Like, um, like I, I know many fat people who can't, um, like don't feel accommodated unless they are in a seat without armrests. So there's a lot of different kinds of things where it's not fat phobia between two people, like one person being cruel to another person, but it's like the ways in which our society is built to accommodate certain bodies and not others, and how this has these kind of far-reaching effects where, you know, if your culture is showing you that there's not room for you, you don't feel like you belong. And this leads to depression and anxiety, right? And it leads to like a number of kind of these um, really sad, like long-term effects of depression and anxiety, right? Um, And the sense of isolation. And so it's kind of this really large, complex reality. Like fat phobia isn't just kind of the moment when someone says something really awful to another person about their weight. It's a thousand moments over a lifetime that create a sense that you don't belong in your own society. God, it's so far reaching. I mean, something that you touched on 
and something that a question that I know you'll get asked all the time what do you say to people who say it's bad for your health to be bigger and that's what it comes down to that it's just it's bad for your health and it's obviously bad for people who are going to have to deal with the effects of your bad health well I mean I say right that like the the data I feel like the data is clear that what's really bad for your health is being treated cruelly your entire life um I, I yeah I think kind of right like I I do feel like this is a human rights issue and that regardless of what you know effects that we believe fatness to have on someone's health at the end of the day we as a culture have in my opinion like the burden of really creating humanity for every person and not having that humanity be conditional. Um, I think the current paradigm, like the current reality we're living in is that you can be like, there's this belief that, you know, certain people deserve to be treated differently and more poorly because they have violated some kind of, you know, health rule or any number of things. And what I argue is that every single person, regardless of size or health status, deserves to live a life free from bigotry and discrimination. Absolutely. And darling, it's been, I mean, it's been such a pleasure. I feel like I could talk to you all evening. I feel like we could just stay here for the whole night. And um, we do always ask everybody who comes on Wobble, if you wobble, Virgie, what makes you wobble? I mean, right now, what's giving me the wobbles? <laughs> um, I'm getting all of these. I've had a piece come out in The Guardian, and I'm getting all of these emails from men. And I, whenever I, it's funny, right? Whenever I get an email, from a name that sounds like a man, I'm most likely, most likely is going to be terrible. Um, <laughs> oh no. So I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting a deluge of these like emails of men mansplaining to me about how I don't understand anything. Um, <laughs> Great. A wobble. <laughs> that is quite a wobble. What is it? What is their biggest problem? Well, I mean, a, a, well, here's the thing, right? There's an alleged biggest problem and then there's a real problem, right? There's the real problem. The real problem is that I'm a woman and I'm getting out of my place and they're sort of trying to put me back in it. But according to them, they truly believe that their problem with me is that I am questioning data. I am questioning research and I am saying, right, that the research isn't as important as us all just being humans. And I'm saying it doesn't matter what the data says. Every person does to live a life free from bigotry and discrimination. I do not care about your data. What I care about is humans living better lives. And they just really, that really, that really gets their panties in a bunch, you know? (laughs) Virgie, thank you so much for being on Wobble. Oh, it it was so fun. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Good luck with the book. Thank you. There's so much in this I think first I want to talk about how she addresses being fat as when she's younger and the fat shaming that comes across because it's something that isn't talked about enough I feel like the way that she describes it is that she has chosen this life she's happy in her skin but the seats in the restaurants are too small or people say comments which I can't really get my head around the fact that people say things like this is her choice this is her body she 
owns that body. Nobody has the right to say anything to her or anyone about what they look like. No. It's, it's mind-blowing to and me. And it's interesting, isn't it, that people are more ready to say those things to a fat person yeah. than they are for any other reason. Yeah. yeah. And what I thought was interesting as well was the idea of fat phobia being about people who are in relationships or have friendships with fat people as well. You know, she talked about the guy, mm. didn't she, who wouldn't admit to his friends that he was seeing it, even though they were having a great relationship. There's so much there. And like I said at the start, it changed the conversation in my head around fat phobia and around bigger people, um, which I think is absolutely fascinating. I also really like the fact that she um, decided to own it. Yes. Because she wanted to get laid. Yeah. I really <laughs> yes. like that. And she was, what a lovely open person. Yeah. An open book allowing us to see her perception of life. I've learned a lot. Yes, in this I've, I completely agree. Um, we absolutely love you for listening to Wobble. We always say this there's a whole two series now's worth of episodes, still more to come. So do share the love. Do pass it around, Wobble, if you've enjoyed it. Um, rate, subscribe, we love that. And we will see you soon for another brilliant guest on Wobble. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.